Talking sports as they report Back and forth from their home court They talk the sports if you're not sure They talk of sports and then talk more About all sports East, West, South, North Ryan talks sports Andrew retorts And Torch will hear as they both sort Through all the sports they both support The Walk-Ons What's up guys? It's Ryan Reeves Welcome to the Walk-Ons Podcast It's Friday, June 25th, 2021 Our show today is brought to you by Triple Clicks We've got our good friend Chris Urban And you're going to definitely want to hear this interview. This guy's got basically the coolest job in the world. He's a former uh, senior director of marketing for the Madden NFL franchise at EA Sports, which you can stop there and that's the coolest thing. But this guy's been to every sporting event you could name. He's also the founder of this new marketing agency called Triple Clicks. We'll talk more about that later. But right now, Andrew Schuster, my man, I feel like I haven't seen you in ages. How you been? I'm good. And I apologize if you heard a bunch of random robot sounding noises right there. That's the printer going off in the background, but it's good to be back. Yeah. I missed last week, but uh, you know, just uh, enjoyed some time in Chicago. As I was telling Ryan and Seamus, I saw Jimmy Garoppolo and, you know, probably him enjoying his last couple months as the Niners starter. So yeah. Jimmy G. Yeah. how do he look? He looked, he looked, you know, good and drunk <laughs> as, uh, as all Chicago boys should. <laughs> oh God. Well, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, he wasn't limping, was he? <laughs> Not that I can remember. He might have had some. Maybe stumbling, stumbling, limping, two different things. So let's we, we should draw the line right there. I think. But hey, so listen, man, I'm glad you're back because last week was a huge week for your walk on Kevin Carlin. That guy was calling his shot. He called Milwaukee winning. He agreed with me that Atlanta was going to beat Philadelphia, which they did. Uh, he even he went to Game Seven, uh, the last series for the Clippers, and for the first time they were 0-8 going into an elimination game. They finally got a W. So he's coming for your gig again, even though you took his last first time. But just I want I want to make sure you're on point today, okay? So you ready to bring it? I'll do my best. I mean, there's no Denver sports going on, so I don't have anything else to occupy my time. Well, it's pretty dry, huh? But let's let's start with the NBA playoffs. There's a little something there, a little meat on that bone. The Clippers, speaking of, they finally got back in the series last night. They they pull within, you know, 2-1 series lead now. The Suns, which is, I mean, this whole series is weird, right? Kawhi is out. Uh, Chris Paul missed the first two games. He came back last night, and the Suns got waxed. Um, you know, Reggie Jackson's playing like Michael Jordan. I, I don't even know what's going on. Terrence Mann, that, that rise continues, but... What do you make of this series overall? I mean, it, it almost seems like the Clippers had down 2-0. They had the Suns exactly where they wanted. They've been down 2-0 pretty much every series. Yeah, this has been such an odd series. I feel like there's like 10 variables at play that if no one had ever seen basketball before and turned on this series, you'd have to explain to them just to make sense of it all. I mean, the Valley Oop, that's going to be an iconic playoff play. Um, yeah, Chris Paul coming back, then they lose. The Clippers seemingly playing better without Kawhi. Also, Kawhi sitting up in the luxury boxes versus on the on the bench, it's, there's a lot of things going on and it's hard to make sense of it all. But, you know, the Clippers are showing the, some resiliency that they did not show last year. So it's very interesting to see kind of the the, 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 the dynamic flip. Yeah, resilience is key. And I mean, I, I remember maybe a month ago, we were on this show basically talking about the lack of chemistry that they had. I mean, certainly I don't think Kawhi Leonard, would be, anyone would point to him as being the problem. But since he's been out, you know, this has become Paul George's team, playoff ball. Uh, and, we, you know, we mentioned the Clippers had the Suns right where they wanted when they were down 2-0. They're actually, they could be, if they win this series, the first team ever to win three series in the same postseason being down 2-0. So we'll see if they can pull it out. But I mean, what do you make of just sort of the, the growth, I guess, is the fair thing to say about Paul George, right? I mean, everybody's talking playoff P. Certainly game two, he had those two huge missed free throws and they lost the game to the Valley Oop, which was awesome. One of the coolest finishes I've ever seen in any game ever. Uh, but I mean, do you think Paul George really 
kind of is breaking out of that, you know, the, the moniker that he just doesn't show up in big time games. I mean, a little bit, but I mean, like you just said that the free throw things was, was huge. And that's probably what, you know, did them in, even though like DeMarcus Cousins could have played better defense on that inbound. But, you know, I don't, I don't really think it's fair to say growth when he was, you know, two years ago, supposed to be considered a top five to 10 player. And so it's, it feels like he's just meeting what was already expected, expected of him to begin with. And so it's different for like Trey Young or Devin Booker, where they are growing into their superstar status this postseason, where he was supposed to be there anyways. And so I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm glad he's getting over it because I think a lot of last year's problems were involved with mental health and being in the bubble. So I'm glad to see he's kind of putting that behind him. But I also don't want to like give him the credit to say he's finally elevated his status where it's like he probably should have been there to begin with, especially when he came up with the name Playoff P however many years ago when he was playing with LeBron. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, let's take it to the other superstar. And I kind of tip my hand on how I feel about this. But look, you make no mistake, since Kawhi Leonard's been out, you figured the, the Clippers were dead in the water. They've arguably played better without him. Um, credit to, you know, some of those other guys that have played really well, Terrence Mann, uh, you know, Reg Jackson. But is there a scenario in which Kawhi Leonard ends up kind of being defined as the problem of what was holding the Clippers back? He might be. I mean, to his credit, though, he's already won championships before. So it's not like they're going to look at him and say, oh, Kawhi is now this this guy who ruins championship teams. But it certainly seems like you take him out of the equation and then all of a sudden they're living up to the expectations they were supposed to last year. And then, like I said, you know, he's in the luxury box versus being on the bench. And and Van Gundy was talking about it during the telecast. You kind of wonder if maybe he's a little distant from his teammates. and Maybe that's a huge part of the problem. I don't quite know. I think we're still going to have to see. We also don't know if his injury is really super, super bad. Or he's going to miss the rest of the postseason. He's going to be able to come back. Who really knows? And I feel like no matter what, I mean, the Clippers are not going to give up on Kawhi Leonard. But it is interesting to see where now suddenly the dynamic is, was this his fault or was he kind of the problem in the locker room? I think we're just going to have to continue to see how it plays out. Yeah, let's let's give the Suns some love, right? We're, we're looking at the Clippers, but let's give the Suns some love. I mean, we have kind of – they feel like that team that we've dipped our toe in, like, the last two months. Like, oh, are the Suns good? I'm not sure. Maybe they are good. Actually, I think they are pretty good. Maybe we should give some love to Chris Paul. That's all out the window. The Suns are an absolutely legitimate championship contender. They are a fantastic team. I mean, they, you know, they had that run in the bubble last year, which was a precursor to kind of what was to come. Obviously, everything changed when Chris Paul made his way over there in the offseason. But – what for you has been sort of like, you know, what's flipped the switch for, for them, right? You can point to anything. I mean, Devin Booker has come on. DeAndre Ayton's playing better. Campaign, who hopefully he's not hurt. I mean, what, what for you has kind of taken this Suns team from, you know, and also ran a team that hasn't made the playoffs in a decade to a legitimate, one of the best teams in the NBA, if not the best? I mean, the easy answer is Chris Paul because he wasn't there last year and he's this veteran presence. But then they go and win the first two games without him. So it's like, is he really the – the X factor. I think the thing with the Suns has always been no one questioned if they were good. It was, do we question, are they going to live up to snuff when it comes to the bright lights on the big stage? You know, it's one thing to be successful in the regular season versus in the playoffs, especially with it being your first time. Clearly Devin Booker, Deandre Aiden campaign. You could list seven guys on there are up to the, to the moment because you're getting contributions from their role players as well. I think they've clearly answered those questions and now they're a definitive championship contender. And I think it really is just, these young guys have all bought in together. They've all bought into Monty Williams' system, what he's teaching, and they have multiple ball, hander, ball handlers that can create plays. Can you know They're not just reliant on one superstar. And then two, as we saw with kind of Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid, having an immobile center is death in the playoffs. And though DeAndre Ayton is not dominant by any means, 
he is mobile enough that he has not become a liability on either end of the floor. And he's really kind of holding his own. And, you know, he's the reason why they were up 2-0, especially with the Valley Oop. So I think they're just a really well put together team. I think there's a reason James, you know, Jones won executive of the year beyond just the Chris Paul trade. I think they're just a really fun team. Well, that's well put together. And I think every team that's kind of looking to rebuild should be following their model. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly credits to the front office, right? That the depth that they've built in Phoenix is it's one of the best, if not the best in the league, but speaking of championship aspirations, right? We've got the Atlanta Hawks bucks in the Eastern conference finals. I said it here a couple of weeks ago that I really thought despite what was on paper in the last series, Philly and Atlanta, I mean, Philly was the better team. I just thought Atlanta wanted it more. It, that turns out to be what it was, but I mean, of course they go in and they steal game one in Milwaukee. I mean, what do you chalk this up to? Because, you know, Trey Young is having a coming out party. I think everybody on, you know, in the sports landscape, you myself consider Trey, Trey Young is proving everybody wrong. I mean, this guy, this guy is a legitimate player, but I mean, you look at the Hawks roster and it just doesn't speak to me like a team that, you know, should be in the Eastern Conference Finals and up one up. No, and I, I want to preface this by saying I was absolutely wrong about Trey Young. He's making me eat crow. I want to say that outright. Like, I always was shitting on the, the Hawks, you know, for the Luka trade, just the way they were operating with having all these great players, but they couldn't be good at the same time. I want to eat that. But I also will say they've had a lot of luck on their side. I mean, they ran into the Sixers with their second best player who refused to do anything in the fourth quarter, and it still went seven games. Um, they ran into the Knicks, who, like, should – like really had a miracle season in their own right in the first round. And now they're getting a, a Bucks team that is a superior roster in every regard, but is so poorly coached that they don't like, don't know what to do when this guy who's been doing it to every other team continues to do the same thing. So I think it's a little bit of like this extremely resilient team that doesn't know any better. They shouldn't be here right now, but I still feel like they're probably two years ahead of where they should be. And then it's a mixture of them getting a little bit of luck on their side, which, Hey, you need that for a championship run. So I, I don't want to like shit on them anymore because I feel like they're just going to continue to prove me wrong. But I also don't necessarily know that going into the next season, we're going to like be saying, Hey, the Hawks are one of the three or four best teams in the NBA. Yeah. It, it's just one of those things that I don't know. To me, it just doesn't add up. I mean, I, I see what Trey Young is doing and it's like, just put somebody big on him and don't let him shoot three, you know, don't let him shoot. Cause he's going to shoot his range is as soon as he walks into the building, but like, you know, put, put a body on him, do something. It's just, I guess I think pointing to the lack of coaching from the Buck side, you know, Bud Nolzer, Coach Bud, uh, you need to figure something out. It seems like I think to every team that, that played the Hawks, maybe with outside of the Knicks, has kind of just taken them lightly, and they are they're, they're taking advantage of their moments, and that's it's a really impressive thing. But look, you mentioned the team that the Hawks played the last series, the Sixers. There's all kinds of problems going on in Philly. Uh, everybody wants basically Ben's head, on, Ben Simmons' head on a on a stake. Uh, Joel Embiid, I think, for all of his uh, you know comments about how they lost that series or how they lost that game, I think he's full of all kinds of faults too. What do you make of what the situation comes out as in Philly? Oh, I mean, this is like an impossible question to answer. Uh, I mean, just conventional wisdom would say get Ben Simmons the hell out of there, but like, who's going to trade for him? And if someone does trade for him, you're getting pennies on the dollar. I also don't think Joel Embiid is blameless. I mean, he played well and he was hurt, but he also, I think he's shown a lack of leadership. And I think he also had extremely, you know, me like memorable moments where he was turning the ball over in big spots. I think doc rivers has been thrown under the bus quite a bit this year and rightfully so. So as bad as Ben Simmons was, and he deserves 80 to 95% of this blame. I, I don't think it's just as simple as get Ben Simmons out of there and their problems will be solved. I think 
I think there's a lot of dysfunction there. And I think the process, as much as they like claim to say worked, I don't think it did. Um, and I think Daryl Morey's kind of shaking his head going, how the hell do I fix this? And I don't think it's going to be just as simple as, hey, we got to get Ben Simmons out of here. Yeah, I, I think the problems run much deeper than just Ben Simmons. But, you know, an interesting thing on that, I, I noticed a, uh, a tweet this week from our uh, producer, Seamus Fennedy, who never misses anything. Nothing slips by that guy. He might as well be Kerry Price standing on his head. But uh, there was a, an old Kobe Bryant interview from 2019, a resurface this week. Basically, what he was at, Kobe was asked, how far can Ben Simmons go? And Kobe replied, he's got to get a jump shot. So shout out to Kobe. He, he called that one a couple of years ago. But I think from that standpoint, Andrew, there's also been reports, you know, Ben Simmons doesn't like, he's not a hard worker. He doesn't want to work on a shot. He's not necessarily a great teammate. One, do, do you even think Ben Simmons wants to be good? Because he's leaning, he's trending more towards like Jamarcus Russell type number one pick than, you know, something else that he might be labeled as. And two, I mean, what what's the market for a guy like that right now who can't even, he's not even confident enough to shoot a layup? Well, I, I think he's, and he still has all the intangibles to indicate he could be an all pro NBA player for years to come. And I think he's just never been in a position where he felt he had to work to get better because he's just always been better than everybody. He has, he's 6'10", and he basically can play a point guard role and he can do everything but score. And I mean, specifically shooting. So I feel like he's just kind of been not for lack of a better term, babied, And he's, he's kind of had his, you know, not really been forced to, to adopt new skill sets to get better. And I, if he doesn't get better after this off season and the amount of, you know, turmoil he's caused, then that's when you start to go, yeah, he doesn't care. So if I'm a Sixers fan, I'm hoping this is a shock to his system. And this, you know, former number one overall pick who went to LSU didn't have to go to class. It's kind of like, oh, like I'm not as good as I thought I was and I need to get better or there's going to actually be repercussions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those defecator get off of the tree moments for, for him. He needs to have a big offseason. He needs to come back and he needs to be better. I think also part of the problem is he's just miscast. He, everyone's geeking over the fact there's a 6'9 point guard out here who can run the point. I mean, your boy, Nikola Jokic, already proved it. You can be a four or a five and still get eight to ten assists a game if you if you know what you're doing. And he has that kind of ability, Ben Simmons, but he's not a point guard. He just, he doesn't belong as, as a point guard. He belongs as a three or a four. Uh, I mean, probably a four because he can't shoot like a three, but Hey, let's move over to one of our funnest topics, little hockey playoffs, my man. We are coming down to the wire. Now the Canadians finally did it. They're in the Stanley cup finals, Canada, all of Canada is geeking. Uh, we still got one more spot open. Lightning Islanders are going to a game seven. This series has been wild. I've actually been watching a lot of this. Uh, a couple games ago, the Lightning beat the Islanders 8-0. It looked like they were just going to be a cakewalk. They are going to skate right over their throats, and that was going to be it. The Islanders have showed some grit, just like a typical Long Island folk might. But, you know, what do you make of game seven? Who do you like? I mean, I would still like the Lightning just because it's in Tampa Bay. They have all the championship experience. But NHL playoffs has taught us one thing. The best team probably isn't going to win it. <laughs> so, you know what? I'll pick the Islanders. Screw it. Um, but yeah, the Canadians thing is just insane to me because I think it's just go to show that with the, the divisions being separated this year, there was no way of really telling who the best teams in the NHL were this year. Because Vegas and Colorado were supposedly the cream of the crop. Colorado shits their pants. And then Vegas goes right around and shits their pants. So it's like, really, how did these teams actually stack up? Um, and I, I mean, yeah, I kind of want to see the Canadians wins just to see Canada destroy itself. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to see the team with the most Stanley Cups get another one. So it's like it's kind of hard to label them a Cinderella story when they're the most successful franchise in NHL history. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it, that's the interesting part. I, I think uh, we're, we're actually about to go to an inter interview with our friend here, Chris Erb, and I'm going to remind him of uh, his Seattle Seahawks fandom and all the losses that he's had to endure. And I think a loss, as exciting as this is for the Canadians to be in the Stanley Cup Finals, a loss might just the entire country might explode if they lose another one. And it goes another what? I don't think a Canadian team has won a Stanley Cup since 1993, which is also the Canadians. Yeah, the Canadians. So they're due. And boy, will that hurt if they get this close again and they lose. But we're going to toss it to our friend Chris Erb for an interview. We'll be right back. All right, our guest today is a pioneer of the video gaming industry. He's the former head of marketing for the Madden NFL franchise at EA Sports. He's also the founder of Triple Clicks. That's Triple C-L-I-X. It's our good friend, Chris Erb. Chris, what's up, man? Hi. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Don't call me a founder, man. It makes me feel old, too. Like, the, you know, I'm, I'm too old to be getting that kind of shit. Oh, certainly. Well, what would you prefer, CEO? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just you know, Mr. McMahon, we can call you whatever you want. It's our show. It's beautiful. <laughs> we can do whatever we want here. It's great. Um, but hey, we appreciate you joining us, man. And you know, I, I want to first start off by saying you're in a safe space here. Everybody on this podcast who works here, we we grew up, you know, around the Madden franchise, EA Sports. Any game that was pushed out by EA Sports, I pretty much copped it. Uh, but you know, during your tenure, you worked on the Madden franchise, and I think you were a huge, huge piece of kind of reinventing that series. I mean, you guys did all those major events. It looked like, yeah, I mean, glitz, glamour, bringing you back to the video game industry, surrounded by Madden. Um, and I mean, this was early 2000s, right? So this is before the boom of social media. With that in mind, I'm just curious how you guys kind of took that approach and what your sort of strategy was behind sort of reinventing the Madden franchise and making it what it is now, which is one of the biggest gaming franchises on earth. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. It was a good time. Like, listen, the Madden team has a thousand people working on it. I got, I was, had the honor to, to run the marketing side of it. So the product and, and you know, the innovation on that side was, was run by the development team, which is amazing. I was based in Florida. There's about 500 developers and three marketing people. So I got to eat, sleep and drink with those guys and talk to the franchise. So yeah, I think when I came on in 2004, 2005, a lot of the marketing stuff was TV and kind of, you know, it was before everything kind of popped. And, you know, one of the things that we were going to do is make it feel like the launch of Madden was like a theatrical moment. Like how do we get people to like call in sick to work and, get in line at midnight at GameStop when you used to buy physical products. So, you know, that was part of the onus for us is how do we make the launch of Madden feel really special? To be honest with you, it's a magazine subscription, right? You, you, you've got the old one. Do you really need the, old, the new one? And so convincing people why the new franchise is important. How do we get people excited through marketing um, and really make it feel like, hey, if you're not part of this moment, you're, you're kind of missing out. And so I think we, we really tried to do a lot of that stuff. We started Madden Holiday turning the launch of Madden into a holiday thing. We did the New York Times, you know, the New York's, you know, Times Square ball drop and the countdown and a lot of really fun stunts, but it was really about kind of getting people back to the roots of, of playing Madden with your friends and, and trying to do it on day one. Absolutely. Yeah. And you speak about obviously your marketing expertise right there. I'm sure one reason you got involved in EA sports is you're a huge sports fan yourself. You told us you're a diehard Seattle guy. And, you know, with football season being in a lull right now, the big thing in Seattle right now is, you know, the Seattle Kraken getting ready for their inaugural season. And my question is, you know, based off of your marketing experience, how fun would you have, how much fun would you have marketing a team name like the Kraken? I mean, that's such an original name. Never heard anything like it before in any, any of the professional sports leagues. Yeah, I think they did a great job with the name. I think the colors are great. I think the logo is great. I think they've been playing around with it. What people don't know is how strong a sports 
you know, city Seattle is obviously we, you know, we see it with the Seahawks now, but the Sounders back in the 70 was, was a big deal. The, the Sonics sold out for 20 something years. Uh, so that city really shows up to be honest with you, probably no one in, like, there's a very small few, amount of people who are hockey fans in Seattle. And so they're ready to go. Like they're going to get fired up. They're going to be super educated. They're going to get into it. I, when I grew up in Seattle, like I was a huge Vancouver Canucks fan when I was 19 and 20 because you can drink in Canada at 19. So I used to drive up to Canada a lot and, uh, you know, celebrate the Canucks, if you know what I mean. Uh, but other than that, like hockey wasn't big in the city. It's kind of like NASCAR is huge in the, in the Northwest because you don't have a track up there and those kind of things. So I, I think that that franchise is going to do really well. They're excited. They're still hungry for basketball. We think this is a good appetizer until we can get a franchise back up there. Um, but I, I think everything that team's been doing um, has been really kind of strong and I'm excited to, to see how they come out the gates. Yeah. And right there, you mentioned the perfect lead into our next question, the Sonics. I mean, it feels like it's been forever since we, we you know, they left and we were told, Hey, uh, an expansion team is on the way. One, can you kind of talk through that time in, in 2008 when they moved to Oklahoma city, what it was like to lose a team that was so beloved by the city. And then two, you know, do you think the fact that the, the Kraken are there and are getting a lot of support quickly, you know, is kind of queuing in the NBA, like, Hey, we need to make the Sonics, you know, a, a priority for us in the next couple of years. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I was there, you know, I had season tickets for five or six years in the late nineties. Like I was there for the Kemp and Peyton and the NBA finals with Michael and, and all like just amazing times with big smooth and Mac 10 and all those guys. I mean, it was awesome teams, super exciting. I moved, I moved to Florida with EA sports in 2004. So I was glad I was gone. So I didn't burn down the city with the, with Oklahoma city stealing the team. Um, we still have the best NBA player was drafted by us. I still don't think they've drafted anybody good since, you know, we, we did both, we drafted both of their good players. So, um, little shots still, we still don't like Oklahoma city. Uh, but yeah, I don't think the NBA needs to see I, I, the NHL's amazing addition to the city. And I know it's going to do really well. Obviously the, the Seattle soccer team kind of reinvented bringing kind of that European fanship to, to the, to the MLS as well. That really started in Seattle and you see it start to grow out of there. So I don't think they need any proof. Like they lost the Vancouver team. They lost the Seattle team. There's a team in Portland, but like, it still feels like that part of the country is wide open for basketball. And so, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll fill it at the right time. We, I don't want to take somebody else's franchise, but let's, let's get an expansion team up there and, and let's, let's put something in that market. Um, and I, it'll go like that. The, the amount of money now in Seattle is significantly different from when I was there, right? Amazon, there's, there's tens of thousands of millionaires all downtown. Like everyone's ready for tickets. Um, so the, the, it'll season tickets will sell out for 20 years on day one. Like it'll be a crazy success. It's just kind of, is there enough players in the lead to, to support expansion and, and how do we do it at the right time? I'm, I'm sure they're figuring that out. I think the stadium stuff is almost figured out. So I think everybody up there is ready. That's awesome. Well, Chris, I should probably walk back an earlier comment that I said. I said you were in a safe space in terms of EA sports, but being a Seattle fan, I'm a Niners fan. So you're not in a safe space with, this, with regards to this next question. But listen, man, you're a big Seahawks fan. You have been to, I mean, you name a big sporting event you've been to. You've been to what, 20 plus Super Bowls, the Masters, College Football National Championship games, the gamut. But sure. in regards, so you've seen three Seattle Super Bowls now, right? You're one and two. And before we, before we get to this question, 
I was there when the lights went out too, when the Ravens great Super Bowl, which is one of my favorite Super Bowls ever, by the way. So anyways, I was actually there myself as well. I was covering uh, the game for Rome and CBS Sports. And you guys, yeah, choked, was, uh, you guys choked that away, didn't you? You guys had that one right there. Well, right? Anyways, yeah. sorry. sorry, I don't mean to distract. In the end zone, everybody knows Crabtree was interfered with. And actually speaking of interference, I want to know, because everybody knows the, the big Super Bowl that you guys lost, Malcolm Butler uh, in the end zone. I understand you were actually in the end zone as well, but the other one that you guys lost to the Steelers, there were some questionable PI calls to bring this back around. Which one hurt more? Which loss hurt more for you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Good question from a 49ers fan, by the way. Where <laughs> were you when they did? Have they won a Super Bowl in your lifetime? How old were you when the 49ers won a Super Bowl in your lifetime? Just real quick. Was, the last one when they blew out the Chargers, I was six years old. So there yeah. you go. So you don't really know winning. Yeah, you were six. Oh, you don't. Oh. So come on. Seahawks <laughs> fans know what it's like to win a Super Bowl. Um, of those two, we lost. Of the two we lost, the Pittsburgh one wasn't at, like, even though we got jobbed, and I know that the referees, like, the, the NFL has flown people to Seattle to apologize, that we all know that we got robbed on that one. Um, we were happy to be there for the first time, right? That was, like, it was, like, hey, we're here. Uh, we wanted to win and stuff, but, like, we were there. The, the domination of Denver was, I was nervous that entire game, right? We're up 22 nothing a half, and I'm like, oh, my God, how are we? Don't lose this thing. Like, so I was nervous the entire game. Like, three minutes left in the game. I'm like, how could we lose this? Like, I was still nervous until that was that was over with. The la- the, the the Brady one was painful. Like, that was that was what I was literally in the end zone. We all were standing. I was I was third row up. We all had Skittles in our hands. We were ready to throw them at Marshawn when he crossed the goal line. Um, and apparently, there was a different plan. P had a different plan, which he didn't tell us. So my Skittles got wasted. Uh, but yeah, that was by far the, you know, it was a great comeback. That catch, University of Washington guy, that catch to bring them all the way down there from a Huskies guy was was huge. Like we were we were set up for uh, for success. So that, that was probably the most painful. That's probably my most painful memory in all of sports. Oh, wow. Well, I, I apologize for, for sussing that up, but um, you, yeah. you and I appreciate you saying that, you know, losses, you're a 49ers fan. So sure. like the tip in the end zone, from, you know, there's a lot of things that you've suffered through. So I appreciate you understanding that. Hey, you know, it take, takes a long-suffering fan to know one. You know, I, I get you. But, hey, look, you've got all, all kinds of great stories, right? I mean, you've been to Super Bowls. You've, you've done all this cool stuff. I, I want to bring it full circle from a Seattle standpoint. Do, you, I, do I understand this correctly? You were a bat boy for the Mariners in the early 90s? Uh, I was. High school and college from 92 to 97. I, uh, I was an assistant clubhouse manager for the visiting side. So, Okay. Uh, manage that from 92 when we had about 150 fans in the kingdom uh, to the 95 run, which is unbelievable. I think that, that that's the reason we got the new stadium was that that 95 run because Tampa was trying to steal the team. Uh, I think in beginning of September, we were like eight or nine games back. Um, and then we went on a run where we, I think we won in the bottom of the ninth, like seven or eight straight games, which was crazy. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a great time to be a part of that. Yeah, and that's wild too. I mean, the visitors' clubhouse, right? So I'm not going to ask you how many, uh, you know, uh, little little favors you put into some of those guys' lockers or put stuff on their bats or whatever. But I'm just curious. I mean, those are some crazy years, probably as a Yankee fan, right? Did you meet you yeah. know, Derek Jeter? I mean, who was who was maybe the coolest or most awe-inspiring athlete that you saw in your time there in the visitors' clubhouse? Not uh, a good question. From a Yankees perspective. Uh, I was an assistant clubhouse manager, so I didn't have to bad boy anymore. I had people that bad boy, but I actually, when the Yankees came to town, I, I bad boyed the games because uh, that was my squad. So uh, Mattingly's last game in Seattle, uh, which was game five of the ALDS, 
Um, Mickey had just Mickey had just died, and Mattingly had written seven on the knobs of his bats, and he actually gave me a bat after the game, which was amazing. Um, so that was a fun one. I actually bad boyed Derek Jeter's major league debut, uh, so '96. Debut, wow. Yeah, his first game was ever was in Seattle. Um, so I mean, a lot of good. I mean, there were some bad years in there. Like we got Andy Stankowitz and Pat Kelly, and there's some there's some rough squads. Boomer was pitching. Like uh, you know, in '95, I think it was Bucks last year, and they had really started to turn the corner. And that, the Mariners beat them then, and then '96 when they crush the Braves uh you know it all was uphill from then so it was fun to see um the acceleration but it was it was a good time to be in the clubhouse like Nolan Ryan was still doing his thing Cal Ripken played his last road game before he broke the streak in Seattle um and that was cool like I never asked anybody for anything but like Cal had you know two or three days before he broke the streak I asked him for a photo so we went out on the field and he took a photo with me which is great. The next year he came back to town and I brought the photo in and I was like, Hey, will you sign this for me? And he signed it uh, to Chris. Thanks for forcing me out in the field. The streak could have ended Cal, like just the nicest guy. Um, so yeah, we had a chance to see the, uh, you know, the Cleveland teams were, were amazing back then. Albert Bell and all those guys. Um, it was fun. When you're in the clubhouse, you're part of the team. Like, you know, they mess with you. And my favorite moment was uh, at the time, it wasn't my favorite moment, but I was, friends with Julian Tavares and uh, a lot of the guys on the Indians and they Albert Bell if you remember Albert Bell was crazy absolutely absolutely Um, and one of the guys and I can't remember who it was one of the guys hit his shoes um as we were unpacking his bags and he told him that I took his shoes and he went through his bag and was looking for it he literally chased me around the clubhouse with a baseball bat full-on swinging it and breaking shit um, until somebody finally stopped him and said they were just messing with him. But um, a, a lot of uh, a lot of interesting uh, uh, moments that, that we used to have. Yeah, it's all fun and games until he treats your melon like a bell tie fastball. Yeah, like a, like thank God I I was faster than he was. So. <laughs> yeah, that's that's incredible. I mean, I'm sure you you can't even count on on you know how many surreal moments you've had interacting with different sports icons and stuff. But you were telling Seamus, our, our executive producer, some on the phone and just some crazy things. Like you got to go to Muhammad Ali's house, I guess, watch fight footage with him. What are just like some of the all-time great moments that you've, you've been able to kind of be a part of just through working with EA sports and now with triple clicks. Uh, yeah, that was a good one. We were just doing a deal with Muhammad for fight night. He lives in Arizona and we, the Super Bowl was in Arizona and my, uh, a guy, Sandy Sandoval, who managed all of our athlete relations, literally came to my hotel room in, in, in Arizona was like, come with me. And I'm like, where are we going? He's like, don't worry about it. I'm like, all right. So we got in his car and we drove up and he, I still didn't know where we were going. He knocks on the door and he's like, Hey, and we went in and there's Mohammed literally at his house. Um, and we were just kind of, he, Sandy was negotiating kind of the deal. And he's like, just go sit on the house with, on the couch with Mohammed and watch some shows or I don't even know what was on. I looked up on the TV and it was a highlight reel of like one of the movies that had done about his highlight reel. So getting a sit next to Muhammad on the couch and watch fight videos was, was pretty amazing. Uh, the Masters is always kind of a special place. Like, I love the Masters. Um, we, 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 we ended up making a game. Tom Getty managed the Masters relationship and was able to get that deal signed for us and did that. I had the chance to, uh, one time when we walked with Phil, uh, Phil Knight, we walked the course with him as we followed Tiger and did some really fun stuff. So, you know, when you, you think about all the moments, 
we did a lot of stuff with Tim Tebow with NCAA football. So watching Tim went to Tim's championship games and watching him play and Tiger. And you, I think you, you looking back, you just don't realize how great some of those moments are. Cause I've been to a ton of Super Bowls and watching the 49ers lose was a huge moment. Sorry. Um, but I think, you know, thinking through it, just like Tiger at his height and, and getting a chance to meet Muhammad. And we did a lot of stuff with Mike Tyson and, um, a lot of stuff on the fight night side. So um, a lot of really fun uh, memories. That's awesome, man. I mean, it's like, it's just not even fair, but I, I understand like, yeah, I mean, you're, you're basically doing your job, right? You're, you're trying to keep your head down, move forward. And you look back on those moments like, wow, I can't believe some of that stuff was happening. Yeah. You don't really soak it in at the time. Yeah. You're, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm there. I'm at all those places for a purpose or a reason, right? We're at the Super Bowl is entertaining clients for promotional partners or, you know, we're like, there's a purpose for everything. Um, you know, it's the reason I, I take these video game jobs and, and run in these circles is because I just want to do stuff that I love. Um, there's people making pampers or, you know, bottles and stuff like that, which is probably great jobs. But, you know, I, I wanted to be around video games and sports. And so um, trying to hack your way into those spaces is always uh, is always the goal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pampers, absolutely necessary, but not necessarily much any, any more fun than uh, yeah. around sports or video sure. games. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think you made the right choice there. Wait, I got one more question for you, and then I want to give you a chance to talk about triple clicks. But so you were, you're a UW guy, right? You're a, you're a Husky? Yep. So you were there. They won a national title while you were there, didn't, didn't they? Uh, yeah, 91. I, I uh, went there from 90 to 94. Uh, so yeah, right at the uh, Billy Joe Hobart kind of scandal, but also the, uh, Mark Grinnell kind of winning the championship. So uh, Don James last kind of run uh, as a coach there. So yeah, absolute fluke timing. I mean, they've won, I think the 60, 81 in, in that one. So uh, a little bit of history. Um, obviously we're still trying to come back from scandal from the nineties, but you know, we, we are doing a pretty good job. We got a lot of Rose Bowl championships. I, you know, Oregon is our, our tribal who's never won anything. So we, you know, we still got a little bit above uh, some of the other squads. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, but it, so someone like me, right, I'm a little bit jaded because I went to, I'm a proud gaucho. I went to UC Santa Barbara. We didn't have a football team. I'm a huge football fan in general, especially college football. I'm just curious from, you know, a school like Washington, right, not necessarily a perennial contender, but always a good team, always in formerly the Pac-10, now the Pac-12, always up at the top of the heap. But what is the vibe like on campus for, a, you know, division one school where your team is, you know, challenging for a national title. Like, what is that like? Because I just need to have it by proxy. Yeah, um, I think it's fair. Your school, you have a beautiful campus. So you got a lot of good stuff going at that school. Um, it's not too bad. It's, you know, in the moment in time, it's hard to codify. Like it, you know, when you get there and it's my second year, I'm like, yeah, this is what's supposed to happen. We're fucking great. Like you don't really, like I'd rather win one now and really understand what that means and the, the journey it takes. I mean, we didn't have Alabama doing kind of what they do now. The, for us, the biggest win that I remember for, for us is like breaking Miami's streak in Miami, right? So like yeah, that, was a, that was a big moment for us. But we had, you know, Warren Moon was, was there um, before us. And like, so there was a good history of football. So being good wasn't really a surprise, but I, you know, I, we celebrated like, as you can imagine, we celebrated like crazy. But you don't really kind of understand how lucky you are to be here at this moment. Um, like the Alabama schools, like everybody's like, you know, which day, what years were you there when you won championships? Were you there when you won? So there's different schools that have different experiences. I'm sure Boise State, you know, the Statue of Liberty will always be super important to them. I'm sure Texas has got a couple moments. Obviously, the Vince moment should be the biggest. 
Um, so everybody has those moments. It's, it's just really hard to recognize them when you're there. Um, I, I'm old enough to understand like the, the genesis of like what a Super Bowl meant for the Seahawks. I will be excited if the Seattle Mariners ever make it to a World Series. God forbid, like that'll be a big moment. Um, so yeah, it was, I just remember partying on campus, but I don't really remember like this is like, this is the greatest moment ever. Uh, just because you just feel like, you know, this should happen. Um, Cause you're just so, you don't understand. Absolutely. Live in the moment. Yeah. Well, listen, let's, we won't call you a founder. We'll call you a CEO at BMOC, big man on campus, whatever you want, Chris, but tell us a little bit what you're doing with triple clicks. It looks awesome. Uh, yeah, thanks. We, you know, I, I've been in the video game industry forever. I worked out with Wizards of the Coast and did Magic the Gathering and Pokemon and a lot of games like that. And then went to EA and, and did um, the, the Madden and the EA Sports brand stuff. And one of the things I noticed was there was no marketing agencies that supported the video game space. Um, I went to Hollywood and worked at Legendary Pictures for a while and I noticed there's a thousand agencies in the movie space. So I, I opened Triple Clicks about five or six years ago. And we are a partnership and lifestyle marketing agency for the video game. So we work with clients like Xbox and Activision um, and Warner Brothers, but then we also manage gaming strategy for brands like Nestle and Kellogg's and StockX and Swarovski and, and help bring brands into the gaming space. So how do we do cool stuff for gamers um, is really kind of what we focus on. I love it. What's been the most fun project that you've worked on so far with Triple Clicks? Uh, we do a ton of stuff. I mean, from a from a scale perspective, like we do, we work with Xbox on uh, their Taco Bell promotion and giving away Xboxes at Taco Bell and, you know, getting uh, Xbox to make a, uh, uh, getting the Xbox team to make a console that when you turn it on, it makes the Taco Bell bong. It's kind of be a highlight, um, which I love. Absolutely. We work really closely with a, a band called Run the Jewels. And so we're, you know, I work with Ella and Mike and we put those guys in, in Gears of War, which was fun as playable characters. And then we just did a custom song and video for cyberpunk. Um, so just, you know, we do a ton of different stuff. I think I love kind of almost everything we do, but custom Jordans with Nike for Xbox, run the jewels, Taco Bell, just the, the stuff that the brands and, and stuff I love. It's, it's always the fun to play in that space basically the coolest job in the world and a cool guy to boot well chris we're out of time man i really really appreciate it. this was a lot of fun uh i'm gonna put your your uh, allegiances of the nfl team that shall not be named aside but we really really enjoyed having you on and for those of you at home be sure to check out tripleclicks.com that's clicks c-l-i-x and follow on twitter at tripleclicks or instagram same handle at tripleclicks chris erb and by the way 2004 michael vick unstoppable best character of all time yeah, I think that I hear that a lot. He was he was definitely the best. Make sure you treat your Trey Lance pretty good. I'm a big sports card investor. I got a lot of Trey Lance cards, so don't screw that up. I need hey, to... With any luck, he'll be making you miserable for the next decade or so. Uh, so we'll, as long we'll as I make a little bit of money on that, that's fine. So. Hey, it's good for the goose. It's good for the gander, my man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right, our thanks to Chris Erb. That was a lot of fun. Also checking at home, make sure to check out tripleclicks.com. That's Triple Clicks, C-L-I-X. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram. Same handle, at Triple Clicks. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Andrew, let's jump over to one story that I don't really have a lot to talk about, to be quite honest, but we should mention it because it's a big story. Uh, the ruling came down from the Supreme Court with the NCAA this year. Uh, unanimous ruling, NCAA violated antitrust laws by limiting some educated-related, education-related aid to student-athletes. All I really have to say about this, Andrew, is about time. Uh, and I think a 9-0 beatdown, uh, on any level, anywhere in the world is is tough, but a 9-0 beatdown in the Supreme Court 
where you can get all nine of the judges to basically agree that you're being assholes. Uh, that's a beatdown of epic proportions, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there's not really much to talk about. I think anyone with a brain knows how they feel about the situation. That the NCAA has been taking advantage of students for way too long. And, you know, Jay Billis was on Dan Patrick this week. It was like, this is the like most prominent display of stupidity he's ever seen in sports because the NCAA sought out this legal case and then basically dug their own grave with the, with the you know, Supreme Court saying like, no, what you're doing should be illegal in every type of industry known to man. And now they're never going to get any legal backing ever again. It's they just the NCAA cannot get out of their own way. It's been a long time coming. And yeah, it's like there's not really much to discuss because we all just know exactly what the results should have been. And they happen. And, you know, it's just yep. it's about damn time. And they really only the NCAA only has in their own demise by sending this to the Supreme Court, which was stupid to begin with, because it's basically just given the timeline this on this. It's truncated it by years, to be honest. But hey, let me take that as a springboard into another NCAA event that's actually a lot of fun. Uh, the College World Series, we're down to four teams. Uh, I think personally, this is the most underrated event in all of sports. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's on ESPN, ESPN2. It's so much fun. Omaha, Nebraska, I mean, these guys are legitimate players. I mean, there's first round picks all over the board. Uh, you know, you've got the number one seed, Arkansas, dropping NC State, who in just craziness, Today, they were 2-0. and They had a chance to go to the, the final game up against a, a perennial, uh, well, actually, defending champion, Vanderbilt. they got Kumar Rocker out there, who's going to be a top two or three pick in the uh, MLB draft. They got hit with COVID protocols today, so they were running out of team today in basically what is the final four of college baseball. That without their starting center fielder, without their closer, without their starting shortstop, without their second baseman, they still only lost 3-1. to one. From my standpoint, it is so much fun. I just want to give a little love to it. Give a little love to the Wolfpack. Andrew, I'm sure you hate that. But as a guy coming from North Carolina, I'm sure you have a lot of friends over there in Raleigh. I mean, what does this mean to them, right? Because, I mean, you're not look, if you're looking at past successes for the Wolfpack, there's not many. Oh, no. I mean, you say hate. I, I don't hate the Wolfpack. It's, I get a little annoyed with them sometimes when they <laughs> insert themselves into the Duke UNC conversation. But, yeah, my friends who are, you know, state grads are reeling. They don't get this many opportunities to be, you know, kind of on the on the track to winning the national championship. And for this to happen to them right when they're about to, like, really take the driver's seat is, one, the most NC State thing ever, even though it's incredibly unfortunate. Um, but, yeah, it's – I kind of wanted to see them do it just so they would, you know, shut up and finally have something to occupy their attention with. But, you know, it's, it's, it's up to their narrative. I'll just say that much. Yeah, it's brutal. I mean, from my standpoint, look, I'm just kind of sick of Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is kind of the New England Patriots of college baseball. They're just always there. Uh, NC State hasn't been there in almost 20 years. They got a lot of swagger. I like their team. They have a lot of fun. On the other side of the bracket, you got Mississippi State, who is kind of rolling. They're taking on Texas later. Well, it's supposed to be later tonight, but I think it's going to be tomorrow. Uh, I'll take Mississippi State in that. And give me NC State. Why not? Give me the state schools for, for a title. I'd like to see that. I think that would be a lot of fun. And also, shout out to the marketing department. They, they brought in Peyton Manning for uh, commercial to uh, pitch, you know, to drive excitement for the World Series. And of course, it's right in his wheelhouse because Omaha, Omaha, we're going to Omaha. Yeah, I know a little bit about Peyton Manning saying Omaha a few times. Yeah. A little bit, yeah, some experience. Oh, all right, we'll move on. I'm not even going to, I'm not, <laughs> I refuse. I won't take the bait. All right, Andrew, let's go dudes and does of the week. Who's your dude? The dude is uh, Carl Nassib, obviously a huge announcement this week, uh, being the first active player in the NFL that we know of. I'm sure there's been others. They just haven't been able to come forward. 
but you know his announcement this week was huge it's the it's the first you know real step forward in, in, in active LGBTQ representation in the NFL. And, you know, he said it best, he's not doing it for attention. He's not doing it to, you know, be known as that guy. He just wants to be open about who he is and hope that his example makes this kind of more of a, a norm than a, Oh, a national headline generating story. It's just something that we kind of know exists in the NFL. And I want to say this, this is probably the first and hopefully the last time I ever say something nice about a Raiders player. So Enjoy it while you can, Raiders fans, because it's not going to happen again. Yeah, good on you, Carl Nassib. I, I, I totally second that. Uh, also, I think Ben Simmons owes Carl Nassib a nice little gift basket because that happened to uh, the announcement from Carl having to come out the same night that uh, Ben Simmons refused to put an uh, open layup in the basket. So uh, nice to take the news cycle away from, from our guy in Philly there for a little bit. But my dude, I've got a couple. One, it's big, sexy, Bartolo Colon. I mean, I cannot get enough of this guy. He's 45 years old. I don't know. I mean, he might be 65. Nobody knows, but he's down in the Mexican League. He threw a no-hitter down there last week. I mean, the guy just cannot be stopped. He's immortal. He's unstoppable. He's machine. Big, sexy. I love you. I hope you keep coming back just over and over and over again. Keep pitching to your 70 in a wheelchair. I love it. Also, secondarily, soccer hooligans and fans in general, they're back. They're back. I absolutely love it. The Euro 2020 has been going on. We've got a, a slight delay here before we go to the knockout round on Saturday. Uh, but, I mean, hooligans are back in full force. The Scotland team, when they played England, they invaded uh, the London Square over there and just drinking and putting up lounge chairs and just basically making their home. I absolutely love it. It's also just great. I mean, College World Series, NHL, NBA playoffs. The fans are back. It feels awesome. That's my dude of the week. Who's your dad? My dud. So last week, you know, I missed the show. Uh, my dud would have been the Nuggets fan who made all of Nuggets fans look like the biggest bitches on the planet. You have this dude with a weird bowl cutty kind of haircut and three watches getting his ass kicked after instigating stuff with Sons and Four Guy. Four. Made him a national celebrity, made it seem like everyone in Denver is just this granola eating, you know, person that has never thrown hands with anybody before. Just a horrible look. But going off of that, my dud this week is the Suns organization. For as good as they've been in the playoffs, it's a great story. And Suns and Four Guy, you know, was defending himself. So not throwing him under the bus, but their treatment of him, you know, getting him tickets, sign memorabilia, all this stuff has now instigated the Suns fan base to want to go fight other fans. There was a video that came out after game one where they're beating the absolute shit out of these Clippers fans, yelling Suns and Four 2.0. The Suns had to release a statement saying, hey, um, stop beating up other fans on other teams. And I'm like, hey, you guys did this. You rewarded a fan who beat up another fan and then you didn't expect your fan base to go, huh? So we're allowed to beat up other fans and we'll get stuff from Devin Booker now. So, I mean, I know it's not as simple as that, but the fact that they had to release a statement, I'm like, you guys should have seen this coming. I mean, you make a fan, a celebrity who beat the crap out of another guy, you, you're going to know more is going to come. Well, look, you weren't here last week, Andrew, so I'll give you a pass because the Sons of Four guy was my dude of the week last week. Not because he beat the crap out of that Nuggets fan, but because he's probably the only guy in the social media area to get caught on camera in a fight beating the crap out of somebody and basically profit from it, get his time in the sun. So, you know what? It's not the Sons fault fan. It's not the Sons of Four guys' fault at all. It's not the Sons organization's fault. It's that Denver Nuggets fan with his three watches swinging his little money in front of that guy's face and taking a sucker punch. That's, it's all his fault. And to be quite honest with you, I think it's an absolute blast. And listen, as a guy who lived in L.A. for 10 years versus now I live in Arizona, there's some heavy hands in Arizona here. There's some heavy hands lying around. L.A. is a lot of talk and no, nothing to back it up. And 
Suns Suns fans, they know how to fight around here. Okay, this is the desert. This is the Wild West. So this is just the natural order of things, right? It's not the Suns organization's fault. It's just this is the way people. Okay, then I guess the state of Arizona is my dud of the week. I mean, I'm saying it's not Suns and Four Guys' fault. Nuggets guy is a bitch. Not not on on board with him in any way. He's just a he's you know he's an outcast now. If he ever goes to a Nuggets game again, I'll beat his ass up. But it's more like now all the Suns fans are like, we have free reign to just beat the crap out of any fan we see. And you know, this, this like, hey, don't don't put my state on blast. Okay, we'll come for you. We got heavy hands, like I said. All all right, my dad of the week. Actually, let's keep it in Arizona. Why not? Because the the lovely basement dwellers of the NLS, the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, they did break their almost record losing streak the other night, but they still have that shiny 23-game road losing streak. That's an MLB record. Uh, all I have to say is Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how you can be any any worse than they are. Uh, but if you're looking for some, a finger to point in the state of Arizona, it's got to be the Diamondbacks, Andrew, okay? Get that right. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm no, I'm no baseball analyst, but that's not good. And not you good. Know, really not, not good when the Colorado Rockies have like a 10-game lead on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that's bad. It's bad and almost as bad as their, uh, their city jerseys because, listen, we've talked about this before. Boston came out with some awesome ones. The Chicago White Sox had great ones. For some reason, the Diamondbacks decided to come out with gold ones that say Serpientes on it, oh. which really just feels misplaced if you're just you're more like a little tiny lizard that just gets stepped on. You're not a Serpiente. I mean, I've never I hadn't even seen it before you mentioned it, and that just made me want to curl up and die. And I'm not even that man. Yeah, yeah, the Serpientes es no bueno. Uh, <laughs> you can tell I was I was excellent in Spanish class in high Excelente. school. Excelente. Yeah. Excelente. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Andrew. It's always an education here. Our special thanks to Chris Herb again, our guest. That was a lot of fun. Uh, that's it for the Walk-Ons Friday, June 25th, 2021. We're out. The Walk-Ons.